are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. If you guys probably noticed that Apostle Paul seems to be kind of beating a dead horse. A lot of just law talk, right, with the, uh, with the Ju- Judaizers. And, and uh, there's a reason why. You see, the reason why uh, Israel had such a hard time with the law, it wasn't because they didn't pursue the law. No, they pursued it. It's because they pursued it in the wrong way. They, they were just wrong, all wrong about how they pursued the law. And this translates to us because though we're not under the law, we are still under God. And we're still attempting to pursue God, but we often do it in the wrong way too. We pursue God in the wrong way. When we pursue God in a kind of moral way rather than through the effort of the power of the Holy Spirit, it leads to sin and death. And here's a simple way to look at it. Are, the way that you pursue God, evaluate that. Look, think about it. How are you pursuing him? Are you pursuing God in a way that is submissive, saying, God, um, you are the leader. You are the one I want So I am open, and I am bare, and I want you to direct me and to direct my course. Is is that the way we approach God and how you pursue him? Are you doing it in an obedient, speak what you will, and I will obey type of way? Say what you want, God, and change my mind, change my heart, do whatever you need to do. Or instead of resting and seeking his grace and his mercy and his truth every day, are we instead doing the complete opposite? Instead, you're pursuing your day's work and you're, you're pursuing and trying to tackle your ministry or your relationships, perhaps even your difficult circumstances and your stressors in life and tragedies by your own strength. Saying, God, I'm, I'll take care of this. Like, because I'm just, that's what we're taught growing up. You deal with it yourself. You do it. One says, God, I need your guidance. I need your wisdom. I need you to direct me. The other one says, God, I can do it myself. How are you pursuing God? How? Turn to your neighbor and say, how are you pursuing God? Now, I'm I'm sure you've heard of that saying, let there be peace in the Middle East. Now, why do we say that? Because there is no peace in the Middle East. It's the opposite. There's turmoil. There's war. There's poverty, unrest. Now, even though there are a lot of different factors to the unrest in the middle of the Middle East conflict, it actually goes really far back to the two key descendants of Abraham. Now, the Jews traced their lineage back to Isaac, Abraham's son, by Sarah, his wife. And the Arabs, they traced their lineage back to Ishmael. Abraham's son also, but by Hagar. Now, God, he promised to make both of those sons into actually a mighty nation. And you can, we'll go into later what he means by that, specific or general blessings, so on, but I'm not going to go into that. Which is why, because they reached back and looked back into their ancient manuscripts and the teachings that they've read, which is why there's so much confusion about divine rights to the land, divine rights to supremacy, and it's just all supported by their own individual ancient writings and history. So yeah, no wonder 
there's a lot of confusion right now. Because God said, I'm going to bless you too. I'm going to raise you up also. Our text for today has a lesson. Because as Apostle Paul uses these ancient stories of the sons of Sarah and Hagar, it's not meant to give some sort of political solution to the crisis in the Middle East, okay? He's not trying to, Apostle Paul, you can't read his letters and attempt to create some sort of roadmap, okay, to peace uh, between the Arab nations and the Jews. But Paul, instead, he uses the story as a roadmap to peace with God. That's what he's talking about. Through God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's saying this, if you want peace, you got to have Jesus. If you want peace, you need Jesus. You know, the, the Arabic nations, they need Jesus. The Jewish nation, they need Jesus. Even this so-called Christian nation of America, we need Jesus. Every nation needs Jesus. Amen? And so Paul here, he uses this time to describe two particular women, Sarah and Hagar. Let's talk about Hagar first. She's associated with Mount Sinai in Arabia. This is where we know where the law was given and therefore is connected to the city of Jerusalem. By the way, it's not where you think it is. You're thinking of the Mount Sinai Peninsula. It's on the other side, okay? So she's associated with that. But here's the thing. Hagar is actually associated with slavery because that's what she was. She was a servant. She was a slave. Her child Ishmael was born by natural means of reproduction. In other words, Abraham had sex with the servant girl, slave girl, Hagar, had relations with her, and she got pregnant. Very ABC. That's just how it was. Natural. And so as we know, eventually Ishmael, the son of Hagar, persecuted Sarah's son Isaac. So that's the first lady we're talking about. Now, here's the second woman described, and that's Sarah. She was not a slave. She was not a servant. She was a free woman. She was the wife of Abraham. But she was barren because she was beyond her childbearing years. You see, when the promise of a child was given to her, she was 90 years old. 90 years old. Her son was, unlike Hagar and Ishmael, her son, Sarah's son, was a child of a promise, conceived by the assistance of the Holy Spirit because it was long past her time when it was physically possible to have children, meaning without God's involvement, she could not get pregnant. Does that make sense? Do you see, do you, are you beginning to see the difference? So we have Abraham and Hagar done in a natural way, and then we have Abraham and Sarah, but done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Because there was absolutely no way they could do it the natural way. There was absolutely no way they can do it the biological way or the, the typical traditional way. Why? Because she was barren. She was way beyond her years. And her son Isaac was the rightful heir, and he was the one persecuted by Hagar's son Ishmael. So that's them. So what do these women represent? Paul addresses these women in the light of two things, two covenants. The covenant of the law that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, and then the new covenant, which was established by the work of Jesus Christ. And so here we have two covenants, old and we have new, and they are as different as Hagar and her son, as Sarah and her son. So what's the point? And this goes to our first point. 
is found in verse 23. It says, But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, do you guys remember the story? God, he promised Abraham an heir. He promised Abraham his, a son. And as Abraham waited, nothing happened. He waited, and he waited, and he waited, and nothing happened. So he decided to take matters into his own hands. Does this sound familiar to anyone here? Have you ever waited and waited and waited, and you took matters into your own hands? By the way, do you ever worry when you wait? Do you guys worry when you wait? Why do we worry when we wait? Do we honestly think that God forgot? Do you honestly think that God dropped the ball on us and he goes, ooh, that prayer, that, that prayer that night, I forgot to hear you. I'm really sorry. No. How many of us have pressing issues and matters in our lives? Maybe, maybe it's Maybe it's, it's about our marriage. Maybe it's about relocation or career or whatever. And so, you know, we know like all as good followers of Christ that we need to pray. You'll hear that from us. You'll hear that from me. Hey, did you pray about it? And so you go, okay, I'll pray. So you pray for an entire one day. And for those of us who are really holy, we'll pray for an entire weekend. Right? So we pray. And what happens after we don't hear anything? We go, well, you know what? I, I've waited, God. I waited a long time, and, and I'm not getting anything. I waited long enough. Abraham, here, here's the thing. Abraham was given this promise to leave his nation of Ur and to go follow God wherever, the, wherever in the world the Lord was leading him, that he was going to be a father of, of many, of great nation, all that stuff around the age of 75. Abraham was a successful guy already at that time. He already had his career down. He already established his hometown. He's like, this is where I'm going to live and this is where I'm going to die. This is where I'm going to raise all my kids. This is where I'm going to see my grandkids. This is where I'm going to just do everything. I mean, I planted everything here. This is it. And God says, pick up and go. At the age of 75. I hope it's encouraging to us all that it's never too late to start something new. Amen? Amen? <laughs> Amen? It's never too late to start something new. At 75, Abraham was given a brand new vision, a brand new purpose. Now, some of you guys right now, you're thinking, man, okay, so I majored in biology, and I'm not a medical doctor. I am just, what am I supposed to do with my life? And you think you're just in this, in this rut. You know what? Seek God for a new vision for your life. Seek God for a new direction in your life. It's not too late. Don't think that just because you made some errors in the past, in past relationship or academically or financially, that now your life is completely over. No. Place your hope and rest in Christ Jesus because he wants to start something new with you today. He wants to start something new with you today. And so Abraham, at age 75, was given something new, completely new. New purpose, new dream, a dream that he dreamed, by the way, that didn't come to fruition until 25 years later. God says, I promise to do this through you and for you and for my glory. And, and Abraham says, yes, one year passes, two year passes, five. And Abraham's just like, oh, my goodness, Lord, when are you? I've been praying and 10 years passes. He's like, okay, a decade's long enough. But another decade passes, 
and 25 years, almost a quarter century passes and to the point where he is 100 years old. And God's saying, God said, I'm going to try to do something through you that's supposed to be biologically probably advantageous for people a lot younger than you. And he says, I'm going to bless you with a huge nation and bless you with an heir, with a son. And he's like, Abraham probably thought, you know, when I was 75, that was kind of a reach. Now when I'm 100, God, what are you talking about? That's impossible. And he goes, okay, if anything, my wife is 90. This is crazy. You know, when God calls us to wait, and when we don't have a definitive answer from him, he says, wait some more. It's okay to wait. When it's unclear as to what God wants you to do, wait a little more. Because we need to get this notion out of our head that waiting is doing nothing. You know what I mean? Because it is worth waiting for God to speak. It is worth waiting for God to direct your move. It is worth waiting for God to give you something, some sort of indication, whether it's through people, through the word, through prayer, something supernatural, something whatever way that he wants to speak to you. It is worth waiting Waiting is a spiritual discipline. Did you know that? Not just praying, not just fasting, not just reading scripture. No, do you know that even waiting is considered a spiritual discipline because it will benefit you spiritually because it will test your faith. It will exercise your patience. How many of you guys are impatient? How many of you guys are impulsive when it comes to the Lord? Yes, absolutely. All of us here. It will train submission it will make all those moments that have passed, all those days, all those weeks, all those years even that you've been waiting, it will make all that time count. It will make it precious because you've gone, you have grown closer to the Lord. And if you have grown closer to the Lord, even without resolving whatever issue you had initially, then still praise be to God because you got something better. You got something better. You see, when we allow ourselves to wait, that demonstrates that you have hope in something you cannot see. Because you trust that even if your answer has not been answered within your own expected time frame, that you know and trust that God is still working. That God is working in your life. That God is working in the other person's life that you're praying for. That God is working in everything. God is working. It is those who cannot wait and who are impulsive and keep saying, no, I got to do it. I got to do it. I got to make my own life. I got to redirect my own path. Also, these are the people who lack faith and hope in God. So even though Abraham waited those years for his heir, that journey wasn't without faults. You see, Abraham decided... Well, God, he promised me this, and I'm going to make this promise from God happen. I'm going to do it. So he took his wife, Sarah's servant girl, and he got his wife's permission. Not to say that that makes it right either. But he got the servant girl, Hagar, and he got her pregnant. Why? Because he said, God, you're going to give me a son, so this is how I'm going to do it. He wanted an heir, and he was going to do it all by himself. And so he gets a son, and he names him Ishmael. By the way, do you know what Ishmael means? The Lord listens. You don't, okay. <laughs> so in this analogy, Hagar represents natural, man-made, 
do-it-yourself religion. She represents the kind of make-your-own-self-righteousness or make-your-own-righteousness happen. In other words, earn your status. Do what you got to do. Fight the fight. Do all that stuff. Make yourself presentable. Build up your own efforts. Be meritorious. Do all that stuff by keeping the law. That's what Hagar represents. But was it at all God's plan for Abraham to do it all by himself? No. God, you know, God, he doesn't move in your life. He doesn't speak in your life and then say, you know, you guys take care of the rest of everything. No, in Genesis 17, God, he renewed his promise to Abraham that he would have a son by his wife, Sarah. And these two, they both laughed. Granted, Sarah laughed a little bit later. But when Ishmael was born, you know what happened? God, <clears throat> Abraham begged God to give that promised status that God promised in Genesis 17 to his son Ishmael. He says, God, you know that planned promise that you said that I'm going to have a child with my wife? But you know, I didn't do it with my wife. Instead, I, I got a baby through my slave girl because I just had to do things, uh, put matters into my own hands. But, okay, so we have a son named Ishmael. God, can you, that, can you redirect your blessing can you redirect your hand in favor and grace? Not from the original plan because God, I'm scrapping that, but can you place it upon this new son, this other son that I made, that I did, that me, me, me. He begged God to give that promise to ask to Ishmael. But God's like, hey, that's not my plan. That was never my plan. And that's what we do too. When you know something's off in your life, do we humbly go back to God asking him for his grace and truth to redirect us back to him and for his hand to shape us? God, I made a mistake. Shape me. Convict me. You know, charge me, but bring me back. I repent to you. Help me change my attitude. Help me change my, my life, my response, the way I react and all that stuff. But no, we don't do that. We forget about all that and instead we start asking God to adjust his plan. God, you change. I made a mistake, I know, but God, you change. You adjust for my sake. And we say, God, so this happened, and so here's what I'd like for you to do in this situation. That's why whenever we're in, a, we're in a problematic relationship with someone, the first thing we say is this, not change me, but change her. Adjust that person's plan. Adjust that person's idea and what they think they need to do. No, no, God, because I feel I'm right in this. God, change him, change them, make them nice, give them more patience, let them desire more of you, God. You see, we're so self-righteously demanding God to adjust himself and adjust others rather than asking God to adjust my heart and to check my heart. Would you shape me? Would you refine me so I can demonstrate more grace and compassion? Would you open my eyes to any faults that I'm just not seeing right now? God was not interested in adjusting his plans for Abraham's convenience and downright disobedience and lack of faith. Why? Because God is God and he wanted to do the impossible. God, he wants to receive the glory because all glory is his. And he's like, I want to do something spectacular through you. He wanted to be the one who walked between that split sacrifice and make the oath on our behalf. God, he wants to keep his promise and provide Abraham with an heir. You know, when we pray to God to answer us, don't pray for the possible. 
Pray for the impossible. Pray in such a way that makes it obvious that if and when it works out, that it was all of God's doing. It was totally God. And not one ounce of your effort or anyone else's. And that's what Sarah represents here. She's the opposite of man-made efforts to gain God's blessing. She represents the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Where the, where the Spirit of God gives life to those who have no hope. He is a God who moves mountains and walks on water and consumes drenched altars with a fireball from heaven. He is the God who gives sight to the blind and, gives, and heals the sick and gives hope to the lost. He is the one who resurrects. He is the God of the supernatural of the impossible. You see the distinction being made here in this analogy? You see, it's not a distinction between the Jews and Arabs. It's not a distinction between the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac or the followers of Muhammad and the religion of, of Muhammad and the religion of Judaism. This is a distinction between religion in the sense where it's man's effort and attempt to earn God's favor and then the gospel message where it's God, God, God. And only about God. The gospel message is the supernatural work of God's spirit by which he transforms anyone who hears him. Anyone who believes in Jesus from being dead to sin and being alive with eternal life in Christ Jesus. From being guilty and under condemnation to being clean and forgiven. From being slaves of sin and yourself and the flesh and the world to being free as children of God. So set free to know the maker of all things and to serve him. That's what the gospel introduces, but the law is the opposite. Doing it by yourself and your own strength to pursue God is not enough. You must be born of God's spirit. Now aside from seeking the spirit of, of God who leads us, we also know from John 3 of a man named Nicodemus who was challenged with this same idea from Jesus. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And so, of course, Nicodemus thought this was probably the silliest thing he's ever heard. And he says, can a man enter his mother's womb a second time? But Jesus says, you're a teacher of the law, and yet you don't know this? Jesus is saying, dude, you can't even draw this parallelism? You don't understand how I'm connecting this? You must be born of the Spirit. So again, Paul in the same way is talking to new teachers who, by the way, are saying, yeah, Jesus is good, but you also need something else. Jesus is a good start, but you also need to be circumcised. You also need to follow 613 laws of, of, of the Mosaic commandments. And you also need to go ahead and, and earn and work and to earn God's favor. And so Paul shoots back and he says, from the beginning verse, you who desire to be under law, do you not listen to the law? Are you not getting it? Don't you understand the futility behind just following the law? Just trying to do things your way? Hear this. All of Abraham's effort to produce the heir that God promised was fruitless. It only resulted in another son of a slave woman. You see, God, he did not need Abraham's efforts and he does not need ours. He doesn't need you to do whatever it takes and to somehow think that your righteousness will be the, the, the cherry on top in which he'll say, okay, now I'll go ahead and, and do this impossibility in your life. God has promised to lead us and to bless us with salvation with himself, but has nothing to do with what we bring to the table. You know what we need to do? 
constant surrendering every day to his will. That's what's needed. Daily request for God's grace every morning. Do you pray this? God, I don't deserve this, but I seek your grace this, this day. I need your mercy today. I am weak today, Lord. I need you. Is that how you're approaching God? Is that how you pursue God? Or are you saying, God, I'm going to do this today, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And you better be proud of me. Or look what I've done yesterday. Look what I've done. Continual prayer, meditation upon God's word and promises is what's needed. That's like, that's like on a Monday when my day starts. It's a brand new week. And I say, God, I'm not going to speak to you at all today. I'm not going to read the Bible at all today. I'm not going to do any emails or care about any of my members today because, God, you remember what I did yesterday, right? I preached. Yeah, Lord, were you impressed? That's ridiculous. Every day, we must seek the Lord's new mercies. Every single day, are you hungry and thirsty because you realize that you need him? Continual prayer and meditation. It's constantly fixating upon God's promises. God, I can only survive and live and make it through today, this moment, this week, this year, based on your promises, not based on mine. So how does God want us to live? He wants us to live as children of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, live as children of God. And the Bible talks about being children in two ways, being born anew or born again and being adopted. Now, there's no natural human analogy to new birth unless you want to look into the matrix, but we do have a lot of experience with adoption. When a child gets adopted or a family adopts a child, everything changes. Everything the child's previous life was just only a memory. Their entire identity changes. They receive a new last name. A new identity means a new lifestyle. It's the same way when we join to Christ, we become children of God, and we begin to learn a new way of living. So what does it mean to live as children of God? It means this, that we need to quit trying to establish our own record of righteousness. Stop trying to build up your own spiritual resume. Stop trying to do anything where you feel like if I do it, since I've done it, God, you now owe me something. Stop comparing yourselves with others. We are simply to rest in what Christ has done. Rest in what he has done. Rest in what God has done in other people's lives as well. Find peace in him. It means we need to quit fulfilling obligations to keep rules or earn God's favor. Instead, we are to seek fulfilling an obligation to live out and love and extend grace of Jesus to others. It means that we need to stop trying to obey God well enough so that we think he'll be pleased with our efforts, but instead know that he has already shown his love and extended his favor upon us. Why? Because you have Jesus. You see, you want to know if God's extended his favor upon you? Do you have Jesus? Then he has. He has. You want to know if you're special in the eyes of God? Do you have Jesus? Then you are. Do you want to know if God is willing to do anything for you? If you have Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I think you know the answer. 
Think of it this way. Let's say that you're a woman who worked for a tough boss, but he's a fair guy. And at work, there are carefully established and well-defined rules for all of, all of his employees. And he expects everyone to keep these rules as condition of employment, right? You break it, you're out. But one day, your boss notices you. So he pursues you. He pursues a relationship with you, and eventually he marries you. You guys get married. He loves you. He's passionate for you. And he made you his bride, and all he has, everything that he has, becomes yours as well. As his bride, you become a partner in his company. The only thing that's changed is your relationship to the boss, but not the rules. So do you think the bride would be following the rules for fear of her performance being evaluated by her husband? Or would you find new freedom at work? Because your relationship would be marriage, not employment. Your relationship is personal, not some labor contract. You're driven by love, not fear, being evaluated for your performance. And you know that his acceptance of you is based on his love and his commitment to you and not on your effort. Doesn't that change everything? Just to be known that you are fully loved by God? Are you born of the Spirit? Are you trusting in the already completed work of Christ in your life? Have you placed your trust in him today? Are you trusting in God to move in your life? Or are you still trying to do things with your own strength? I need to figure this out. I got to be the one to take care of this and do that. Are you relying on your wisdom, your own plans? But also, are you living as children of God? Let me ask you this. Whenever you approach God through prayer, do you find it difficult to look up to him because you're just feeling so guilty and shameful? That you feel like as if you can't be forgiven or loved by him because you've maybe have sinned so much or maybe you've been so far removed from him for such a long time. You stopped coming to church for such a long time. You haven't, gone, you haven't even opened the Bible in perhaps months, years. And so you think, if I just do the right things, say the right words, live the right way, live perfectly, honorably, then and only then will God find me acceptable and, I am, and I'll be worthy enough to approach him. Do you see how even in that moment of despair and brokenness, we can still act so self-righteously? With that attitude of, if I can't go before God because I'm unworthy, then I'll go before him when I am worthy. And God says, that will never be. Does that make sense? If I follow the laws of God, then I'll be in a place where he'll love me more and he'll bless me more and he'll put favor upon me more. And you see, that's a false message and that's exactly what Apostle Paul is fighting against. He's saying just rest upon the grace of Christ Jesus. I think it's time for us to all take a step back and like Mary, sit at the feet of Christ. Let me ask you an honest question. When was the last time you have actually just sat and been still and just gazed upon the face and the beauty of the Lord? 
When was the last time you took your morning or your afternoon or whenever you just had some peace and quiet to just immerse yourself in the presence of God? Do you feel that Christian life is stressful and burdensome? As children of God, we're given this amazing privilege to be in the presence of our Heavenly Father, and it's only there that we find true peace, in the presence of God. It's there that we find love and satisfaction from what we've been looking for. If you feel spiritually unrested, you feel overwhelmed with life, then I would challenge you to really consider how much you understand who God is and what he's done for you. Check your heart to see if you're really immersing yourself into the world or into the Lord. It's a simple equation, you see. The world does not hold any peace. The world cannot hold any comfort or any satisfaction. So when you remove yourself from the only one who can offer it to you, what do you expect to find? What else do you expect? Let's take this time right now to pray as we close in worship. What is the Lord saying to you right now? Think about it for a moment. Don't just, don't just daze out. Don't just think about the food or if you're hungry or what you want to do afterwards or that movie that you got to catch or that guy or that girl that you want to see or talk to afterwards. Right now. See, what God wants to do in your life is, is what God wants to do with Abraham. He wants to do something powerful. He wants to do something supernatural in your life. But, but we have this tendency, maybe because we're so independent, maybe, maybe we've struggled a lot in the past where we just couldn't rely on other people. But let me tell you, God is not people. God is not like that father who was not there for you or that mother who did not nurture you. He is not like that boyfriend who failed you and cheated on you. He is not like that girlfriend or that wife or that husband that just that, that belittled you or complicated things in your life. No, God is not like that. God is God. He is perfect, the only one who is perfect in every way. And when he makes a promise, it is true. It is real. His promises become reality. See, when we make promises one another, we're hoping that it comes true. We're hoping that there's commitment to that. But when God makes promises to us, it becomes a fact. It becomes true. And the Lord, he's speaking promises into your life, saying, I am with you, and I want to bless you, and I want to lead you, and I want to change you, and I want you to grow in faith, and I want you to be convicted, and I want you to understand that I am everything that you can possibly need. Everything 
that you could possibly need. So are you putting matters into your own hands then? Have you really waited upon the Lord? When you wait upon the Lord, it is not waiting to get the answer you think you deserve. Waiting upon the Lord is waiting so that you can get closer to God. Stop thinking that what you think you believe is best for you is what God thinks is best for you. Maybe God's saying completely saying something completely different from what you've been telling yourself. Are you even hearing him then? You're saying, God, I need to turn left in this path. I need to turn left in this life. And God's saying, no, this is right. I want to turn right. Are you listening to him? It is hard, yes. Then you ask the Lord, God, give me faith. Help me to trust you. And the reason why we have such difficulty trusting in the Lord is, like I said before, is because we don't know him. And the reason why we don't know him is because we're not giving him the chance And the reason why we're not giving him chance is because we're not even praying or reading the word. You see, God's amazing words are in your Bible and they're there for you 24-7, every moment of your life, if you just open it and take the time to say, God, I trust these words. Speak to me. So let's take a few minutes now as we go into our last song. Just pray. But pray and how you pursue God is that you want to humbly pursue him. Pursue him with a heart of repentance. If you feel that this is heavy, then good. There's nothing light about this, about the situation, about what's going on in your life. What is God saying to you, brothers and sisters? Let's hear him out. Let's pray.